Welcome to Dish Pit Theology. This is episode nine. It is. Uh, I totally la- forgot what number it was there for a second. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm glad you remembered. <laughs> yeah, I have it in the small print at the top of the page in our notes. Here. There it is. Very small. Now I can see it. Last week, we talked about practical Bible study kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the original language of the, uh, language of the, of the Bible. Yes, languages. And, uh, and we talked, you know, it's Greek and Hebrew that it was originally written in, and there's been a lot of work done to get it to English. English. And uh, we also talked about how to pick out a Bible and the different translations and stuff like that. Real practical stuff that you can use when you're studying, um, kind of how to start out. And then we kind of ask the question, how will you study your Bible? Mm -hmm. And we hope that you study it in depth and out of depth. Yes. (laughs) Or or you want to study deep and zoom in sometimes, but also sometimes you want to just read it, zoom out and get a big picture. Yep. And um, so, yeah, study it all the time. Indeed. And um, we also talked about topical versus expositional studies, which um, a topical study would be you'd pick out certain scriptures about a certain topic mm-hmm. and study that topic based on a bunch of different scriptures, and that involves cross-referencing and stuff like that. Which is not fun. I think it's fun, but I, it, it, I it don't. takes work. I'm not patient. If you have a tool like the Blue Letter Bible or any of those like online concordances, it makes it really easy because you can just type in a topic word or something like that and... It'll just come up it with still nine. So boring. It's, it comes up with like nine hundred verses that say different things, and you're like, "Oh, look at all the contradictions!" And then you're like, "Whoa, maybe this doesn't contradict." But we'll get there today. Okay. Um. So studying a topic or expositional studies, where you'll study a portion of scripture, and that could be one chapter or ten chapters or a section, a logical section. It could in be one verse. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, you could exposit one verse word for word. It would be Um, a nightmare. uh, It's a lot of work to do either or. I think think doing topical studies tends to get people off on tangents a lot uh, because you're studying something that you're very passionate about and you just go from one thing to another. We don't have any problems with going off on tangents here. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) Uh, but if you if you study expositionally, you'll you'll go through the whole Bible eventually. It might take you your whole life, but um, you'll get there eventually. Um, you so, could just read it. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, um, oh, I'm in a mood. This week we are talking about the mechanics of Bible interpretation. Yes. So if you thought that expositional studies sounded boring, Chase, <laughs> it's gonna get even more boring. <laughs> it's gonna get pretty. Pretty uh, dry up yes, in here. Uh, we cannot wait. This is our last foundational episode before we start breaking Arguing off. about the boring er stuff. Yeah, this is the stuff that we we really hope we can lay down and, and be a solid foundation for your beliefs. Um, yeah, we felt like we needed to... I, I know we've said this multiple times, but we yep. felt like we needed to go over this stuff just for, you know... Those of you in the audience who maybe didn't understand exactly where we were coming from. So, this is the last of those. Hallelujah. We're almost done. Um, we're almost done with the beginning chase. Yes. Um, and then we get to, into the wild sea of disagreement and stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> so, anyway. So, uh, we're going to start off with some definitions. We actually got 
we actually had chimes this week. We we could not find any real physical chimes. We we had one set, but it didn't sound too good. It sounded terrible. And and uh, and then we got something set up with sound effects. We have basically an effects board, basically, essentially an effects yeah. board, and uh, and. I had it hooked up before you did, we did this. And I walked in the room and it broke. <laughs> Tag <laughs> don't know it. what happened. So we we have chimes, we just don't have them hooked up. It's amazing. It's we're gonna tease them one more week and uh, we'll be here for episode ten. Lord willing. It only took us a month and a half. Yeah. Oh, Actually two, that's two and a half. Months. Yeah, that's two Since and a half. I months. can't math. <laughs> you can't math. <laughs> just, just move on. So, so yes, this is the definitions section. Uh, we're gonna start off with this after our recap, and now we're we're done the, with the recap. Yeah, I know. Now you can talk about the interpretation. Oh boy! So we we got two big terms this week. We got interpretation and hermeneutics, which is the term that everybody nobody yeet. wants to hear. Um, yeet. what? what? <laughs> Never mind. Was that a yee yee? I heard it was a yee yee. <laughs> That's a southern thing, y'all. Um, interpretation. A noun. The explanation of the meaning of something. That is the explanation. The thing of the meaning of something. As a verb, interpretation is the action of explaining the meaning of something. Surprise. So They're basically the same thing. And you have an interpretation, which is a noun. And you... You interpret it. The act of interpreting is the verb. Yes. Yes. We so got it. I love to make those distinctions mm-hmm. um, for no particular reason. Yep. So here's a question I think every question needs to ask. Every Did I say every question? Every person oh. is what you're trying to oh, say. Yeah, that sounds great. Why do we need interpretation? Why is interpretation important? Let's think big picture, Chase. Let's think big picture. Why is interpretation important? Big. Now, what do we mean? What are we interpreting here, Brian? Anything. Anything. We're talking communication between human beings. Okay. So, okay. Well, that's a little bit broader than I thought we were going to (laughs) go. Let's start. What is an interpretation? What is interpretation? It is. Oh, crap. I just gave the. (laughs) <laughs> to explain the meaning of something. So if we're looking at a Gillette ad and we're like, oh, that seems weirdly passive-aggressive and feminist, then to interpret that as a feminist thing is to to try to derive the meaning from that Gillette yes, ad. Yes, I find this a really tough thing. Because Gillette I, ads? Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> but But communicating with people... Uh, because I'm just such a special specimen of the human race, I have so much trouble Don't talking say to people. Specimen, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, somebody says something, and so often we have disagreements. I mean, Chase and I, we have spent equal amounts of hours off the air talking about no, no, things no. we disagree no, with. No, 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 much, much more time off air. You think? Like three times as much time. Uh, we've, we've, we've certainly at least gotten the same amount of time as we have on air, off air, arguing about things we disagree on. Oh, yeah. And so this, 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 this thing of inter- interpretation is so important because mm-hmm. we have to understand what each other mean when we talk. Yes, okay. So this is, I place a huge emphasis on articulation. Now, articulation is really just 
described as using the proper vocabulary and the proper words to communicate what you're trying to say, right? But sometimes that doesn't work out, no it matter how work. articulate you are. Um, I pride myself on being a fairly articulate person, but it, but it doesn't always work out, and we have some some issues here. So actively trying to interpret or derive meaning from what someone else is saying is very important because if you don't do that, then it's just going to be like the Charlie Brown thing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's when I'm berating Brian about the church and systematic theology, that's all he hears. Is <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, the communication, I mean, it's one thing to say words, but what do those words mean? And I think that's why interpretation is the last of our fundamentals mm-hmm. because it is so important. You know, you can read the Bible all day long, but if you don't get the right meaning out of it, you're screwed. Well, Brian, we just talked about interpretation being important in communication, right? Yes. And what did we establish as our definition of theology way back in By episode one? Golly. By it, golly, gee willikers. It, it is God divinely communicating with us. Oh, well... Shucky darn! It's, you know, <laughs> I think it? that has something to do <laughs> with interpretation. Don't you think that maybe if we try to, con- we're constantly interpreting what someone else is saying when they're trying to communicate with us, that maybe we should constantly be trying to interpret what God is saying when He's trying to communicate with us? That is a really good point, and I love your articulation, Chase. Thank that you. That made sense, and it hit my mind. And it took very little interpretational effort on my part to understand what you were saying. Great. That yeah. makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. <sighs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah. So, so surprise. We're talking about the Bible mostly here. Yes. And um, when, when it comes to interpreting the Bible, like why is interpretation important? Well, we've kind of established that the Bible is one of the – is the – quote, written um, form of God's divine communication with us, which is the uh, definition we established way back in episode two. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Episode two. I'm losing track. It's right there. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway. um, Yes, so back in episode two, that was kind of what we... so, So why would we, if we actively interpret what everyone else is saying all the time, why would we not put a lot of time and effort into trying to interpret what... God is trying to communicate to us through the Bible. And I would also right. apply that to, I guess, if you're into prophecy and words of knowledge and all of that other things of the spiritual gifts and prayer and and such. But but we're focusing on the Bible today. <laughs> so, I, I mean, the thing about the Bible is that it's so special. And and really, the, the argument's not about should we interpret it or not. That's not an argument. It's how to interpret it, which is the problem. Indeed. Yeah. So we we can't e- see. The thing is, it's it's nice that we we all agree that we can interpret. But how we, do we do this? How, how do we interpret it? Because now everybody's disagreeing on how to interpret something. Well, Brian, when we're trying to interpret it, are we supposed to interpret the Bible literally or allegorically? Now, here's my question: Why is that even a question? I think. Okay. So, well, because Brian. The Bible is a poetic book, and it is written in a, in a poetic form. Not all of it and is. No. Yes, it is. No. All of it's poetic, right? No. 
Listen. That's what I some think people would say. I, some people. Some people. And you've really just got to derive the meaning behind all of the allegorical statements. Literal and allegorical. I think this is a question because of science and the scientific community. Because science has proven some things can't be done. Um, so when you think of a miracle happening, that can't be proved by science. And so it gives a temptation to say, well, then that must mean something else than what it actually says. Exactly. They, that's the, that's, I love science, right? Like Me I've too. I always love science. I love astronomy. I love physics. I love chemistry. Uh, I do not like favorites. chemistry. I love chemistry. I hate chemistry. I chemistry, and it was, I mean, it sucked at the time, but yeah. it was a lot of fun looking back on it. I have, I'm, no. But anyway, (laughs) um, science is great, but all science is good for is what is observable. And as Christians, we believe that there is a whole heck of a lot more than what is observable. Yes. And if you don't, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not actually saying that, but that's what I personally believe. That's exactly what he said, unless you take an allegorical interpretation of what Chase just said. Yes. (laughs) Because he probably didn't mean what he said there. Exactly. So... Um, but it, I was meaning it literally. You are an idiot. That's idiot. good, you know? <laughs> now, see, that's the thing. God isn't telling us... Uh, well, sometimes he doesn't tell us whether what he intends when he says something. This is true. So that's what causes so much argument. Some things, you're like, why couldn't you just write the Bible to where it made sense? Like, why? Do, why? Why? <laughs> why? <sighs> Sorry. Doesn't it come with a manual? The Mormons would say it does come with a reference book, and that's the uh, that's the Book of Mormon that comes along with it. Yes, but they're wrong. Yeah. So. So, uh, in any case, um, I guess one of the questions you'd have to ask is how literal would you interpret the Bible? I mean, there are certain levels of literalness. Yeah, okay, so we kind of need to establish what we're talking about when we say reading the Bible literally, because I don't know if you've picked up on this, neither of us are huge fans of reading the Bible allegorically. Now, hold on, before we move on, I would like to say that there are a lot of people who read uh, Genesis allegorically, and they believe, I think we talked about this last week briefly. Oh, not briefly. Or did we talk about it for a long time? Oh, we talked about it off the camera a long time. Oh, okay. I was like, there's no camera. I'm telling you, we, we, I, oh, well, I mean, you know, the podcast, the mic. We, I mean, we, like I was saying, we deliberate yeah, on this we did stuff. Talk about that. Um, okay. So ultimately, I don't necessarily believe this, but there are a lot of, a lot, I mean, a surprising amount of people out there who believe that God guided evolution and that uh, Genesis is more of an allegorical book that mm-hmm. kind of portrays that happening mm-hmm. in a sense. And they make some interesting and compelling arguments about Genesis not being written as a historical book. And if you go back and look at the Jewish context, they would know not to take that as a completely historical book, kind of like they take Job as a poetic book and not necessarily a historical account. Yes. But... That's not really where I land on any of that. I don't think it's where Brian lands on any of that. I don't think you're less of a a Christian if you think that way, because ultimately I don't know that that necessarily matters all that much. You better believe the main message, though, of the Bible. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he came and died on the cross, and he was God-man. Yeah, exactly. So uh, regardless, as long as they believe that somehow God created humanity, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) I think it's fine. Um but but that's not kind of that's not where either of us are at. If you're there, uh, some of the things we're going to talk about don't apply to you. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're in allegorical land, um, you can really 
honestly, I mean, this is a disrespectful thing to say, uh, but no, you I, can say whatever you want about the Bible and make it true in some way or another. It can, because the Bible's so confusing anyway. Like, you can, you can, if you're taking an allegorical approach to the whole Bible, then, well, that would be terrible. Um, but you could basically make it say whatever the heck you wanted to, um, which is not what we're into. <laughs> no, we're, we're, into, we're into generally literal interpretations. And I say generally because not everything is literal. Indeed. Um, but, um, but generally literal, and there are a bunch of rules to follow if you want to get the most accurate interpretation. If you're, if you're sticking to a literal, uh, literal hermeneutic or interpretation... You just threw out a big word. Yeah, we're going to get there in just a minute. That's okay. the word that we... But remember that? Yes, but before we get there, what do we mean when we say literally interpret the Bible? Right. Okay. So there's a distinction that has to be made here. Thank you for bringing that up, Chase. There are people who take every single thing literally in the Bible. Word for word, whatever it says, it means... Absolutely. For instance, if the Bible said, um, gosh, you just want to pick out like any verse in Revelation and talk about that? (laughs) I mean, um, yeah, any, any verse, um, let's say Jesus is giving a parable of these seven virgins and he even says in the, in the, 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 the story that it's a story. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay. I'm going to tell you a story now. Yes, but it's written in the allegorical sense, and he says, this hey, is a metaphor. This you know is a mean? metaphor. Right, right. So some people will say... To explain a greater topic. Right, right. So some people will, will stick to a completely literal interpretation where even though he said it's a parable, it's the truth. <laughs> and it's the, like, yeah. There or was that, a man in a far country. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's maybe not the best example, but you get the that's idea. That's a terrible example. Yeah. I wish I could do better, but I Well, don't. like, okay, so the Revelation says that there's going to be, like, these locust things that are going to come out and, like, torture humanity for, I think, it's six months or whatever. And it's like, well, dang, uh, that's, that's pretty awful. Um, most people don't believe that that's entirely literal uh, because it's written in the apocalyptic language style, which is supposed to be This is the first time I've heard about this. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you should really look into the apocalyptic there are some, there language. Are some, there are some people that say that the uh, locusts are Apache helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that. I don't know it's if It's so I, ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. But if you're going to take an allegorical interpretation, there's your... Uh, there's your yeah okay baby. but if you take it super literally right right then you have to believe that there's gonna be these locusts uh, which I know some people who do believe that and you know maybe I'm wrong but I just when you look at it in the the context of the book being written you should I think you'd really like reading into apocalyptic literature and you know, how it affects some of the books the, of the fact Bible. that Chase has read Revelation 22 times makes I've me read question it a lot <laughs> makes me question my own understanding of that I've never heard that before Chase but I bet you know more about that than I do well it's, it's very interesting because basically it's it's a form of writing uh, that was very popular in Greece I think I, I don't know whatever anyway the people of the day would have understood that John was writing in that apocalyptic style, and that kind of explains some of the stuff that uh, doesn't seem to line up as far as the quote-unquote prophecy and the that Revelation appears to be claiming that it is. 
uh, when it when it doesn't line up quite right, it explains away some of that stuff because it's like people would have understood that this was happening soon because a lot of the stuff um, up until like chapter ten can be explained by the Roman Empire, and then. Yeah. Like a lot of it lines up almost exactly with the Roman Empire. Matthew chapter twenty four is another huge piece of prophecy that has to do with that. Yes, a lot. Exactly. But oh gosh, I hit the owl. Um, anyway, um, but like after that, you know, I don't know. You haven't probably haven't read enough times, but the timeline starts jumping around really weirdly. It starts. There's like symbolism of Lucifer, Lucifer and the the one third of the angels being cast out of heaven. And then there's, um, immediately after that, there's stuff about, like, this dragon trying to eat this pregnant woman. And it's like, what is going on? 1260 days. Yes, that that one. It's like, it starts getting really weird. It starts talking about different things that are happening in, like, that that aren't happening in linear timeline. And they're like, obviously, this stuff is symbolism. But up until that point, it's being written in an apocalyptic style that's talking about the Roman Empire and the persecution of the early church. And I'm 100% on board with that because it makes so much sense and explains some of the stuff that we just kind of, like, nobody can really explain. I don't know. Thank you I'm for sorry. the detour. I'm so sorry. I totally, I just think hey, that's one of the most interesting things I, I want to talk to the, talk to you about that after this. Yes. Uh, that's interesting. Sorry. Um, I totally got off there. That's okay. But, okay, my point with all of that was that that isn't, not interpreting it literally. It is interpreting it more literally than just interpreting it literally. Finger quotations. Um, so you can... you can Because you're taking it within context, which is that John wrote it in this style of literature, which was extremely popular right. at the time. Um, there was... I think it was... Uh, apocaly- what else was written in Apocalyptic that's very famous? It was the... Uh, uh, Dante's Inferno, I think, was written in apocalyptic okay, literature I've style. Okay, I've heard of that before. Yes. So that was a very popular thing at the time to be writing in that style, and John was writing in that style is, is, the, is the argument that is made. But I'm you sorry, know, I'm just... totally getting off. But the point is to read it within that context is to take it more literally than just saying, oh, yes, there's going to be Apache helicopters, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> Um, it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Like, I mean, a lot of the New Testament is letters written to young churches. Mm-hmm. So if you don't read them like they're letters, yes, uh, then you're missing out on a lot of the important information there. Yeah. Um, <coughs> like, um, letters are made to be writ or letters are made to be read all at once. Yeah. Ninety percent. I mean, I don't know if they did that in two thousand years ago, but well, hopefully they. You exactly. know, you'll read it all at once. You got to take them all in context, and the gospels I think are written as like narratives and stuff. Yes, and it's just when you start looking at them in the context of the liter- literary form that they were written, it it makes some of the discrepancies go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so this is a huge part of literal and allegorical interpretation. You got to know what you're reading. What book is it? I mean, yeah. go, and that go. is reading it literally there's nothing wrong with taking it in context is reading it more literally than just going oh well it says this proverbs is like a general reference book yeah um so you should read it as such Mm -hmm. you know it's not it's not like historical narrative yeah it's not a letter it's not poetry uh, it could be poetry it's it's kind of Mm. i don't know but okay, we're getting yeah. we're getting yeah, way, we're getting way stuck here. Um so so 
there are there are two kind of more practical things that you might come across when you're talking about this literal allegorical stuff. There are people, and these this might be taking place in your youth group or or in your uh, Bible study class, but people have tendencies to spiritualize or secularize the text of the Bible. And so when you're when you're going around your youth group and you're asking about a passage and it's like what what does this passage mean to you? A lot of people will tend to spiritualize a passage and assign some meaning that wasn't there before. And let me give you an example there here. There must be something there that wasn't there. Yes. Before. Yes. Oh. Genesis 1:16 is like a, a a great example of this. It says God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. If you were to spiritualize this text into something that it wasn't, uh, then it would come out like this. The greater light is God, and the lesser light is the church, the bride of Christ, who is to reflect God. The stars are individual believers. So we know that Genesis is written, um, at least I believe it's written in in historical narrative here, where um, God is creating the universe here. And, And when you... Just Chase, put away your phone. I'm sorry. It's gosh, I work. Dang it, Brian. We are at work right now. No, this is the hobby. <laughs> huh. I'm sorry. The greater light is. Uh, I lost what I was saying. The greater Basically, light is... you're assigning too much spiritual meaning to a yes. text that's clearly talking about, about something, something that literally happened depending on what you think of Genesis. You're right, right, right. So you're assigning more meaning than what's there. Secularizing is something that might happen when you talk to a non-believer. So spiritualizing is something that tends to happen in Bible study groups where you're going around asking your opinion about a Bible verse. And it's it can be very creative. And it can actually it can actually you might be able to draw some some inferences about that. Like you can you can observe Jesus in the Old Testament, when you go through some of the the text, and you can see him in there, but that's not what the text was originally talking about. Um, Chase, what are you doing now? Tick. We're talking about tick. secularizing. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, secularizing is basically what a non-believer will do to Scripture. They will take all the spirituality out of it, and leave just the cold, hard scientific facts in there mm-hmm. a lot of times. So um, with the Genesis one sixteen as the example, they would say, somebody who is secularizing Scripture will say, God in this story is a symbol of some sort of natural, scientifically explainable force uh, that led to the creation of the galaxy. So they're taking, they're saying that God is somehow just a symbol of something that is more explainable. Um, so there's, I have an example of this here, but I guess we'll probably not get to that today. It's, it's not important, but you get it. And, and these are both kind of examples of an allegorical interpretation. Right, right. Um, which, you know, ultimately those, neither of those are the worst things in the world, but it's not taking the Bible for what it was trying to say. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so what we do, right, is we believe the Bible should be read literally. Yeah. Well, how do we do that, Brian? Well, we employ this thing called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. That was weird. 
And there is okay. You've got a definition. I do. Chase. I got do. A, I have. Can I say mine first? Please. Okay. Okay. Harmonutics is a noun. It is a method or theory of interpretation. So we defined interpretation earlier as the explanation of a meaning of something. How do you do that is where harmonutics comes in. How do you go about explaining the meaning of the text? It's just a method of doing that. Right. Okay. So harmonutics, the branch of the blah, 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 fail. the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts. Uh, or a method or theory of interpretation. Well, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Hmm. Uh, if you go back to the Greek, it literally, the word just means interpret. Yeah. So um, there's interpret. not a whole lot there. Now, I would like to talk about the hermeneutical loop. And that's something I had only just heard of before this discussion. But Chase has done some study. I really am very proud of my... It's more. It looks shaped kind of like a hermeneutical potato. And not a loop. It's supposed to look like a ring, but it's just, it doesn't look like that. So anyway, um, it's difficult to visualize this, but visualize, if you will, a, a circle with six parts, right? At the very top of our circle. Wouldn't that be a hexagon? No. Okay. It's a circle. Okay. It's a circle. A hexagon okay. has six parts. It's the harmonical, actually the harmonical hexagon actually sounds better. I like it. Okay, we just invented the harmonical hexagon. Hexagons naturally occur in nature. They're one of the most naturally occurring shapes. I know, honeycombs. Yep. It's pretty cool. I love me some honeycomb. All mm. right. At the top of our hexagon, we have, we set out to understand the whole of something. In this case... It is the Bible, right? We're trying to understand the whole Bible. We're trying to derive meaning and interpret the Bible. Yes, yes Brian? Yes. Okay, cool. In doing that, without fail, we end up with a question about one part of the Bible. Like, oh, what in the heck is that? That doesn't make sense. No. That is weird. In raising this question, we now have a question. Um, and then, (laughs) (laughs) yep, (laughs) we then, this step is just kind of meaningless to me, but, uh, it says the question is expressed through action or speech. So I guess you're talking about it with somebody else. I don't know that. So this is the most pointless step. Yeah. Just tell everybody how meaningless all this is to you before you start saying it. That way everybody will pay attention. Yeah. I hate this. (laughs) This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So continue chase. Okay. (laughs) After the question has been expressed an engagement of the part that we're confused about of the whole of the Bible, right? We we're just, let's just say it's two verses. We're like, these don't make sense. Right. (laughs) We engage those verses in discussion and or, thought we think about it we discuss it we're like what could this mean what porque um <laughs> and then the engagement elicits feedback and or response which challenges our understanding of the whole so engagement of this part we it challenges our understanding of the whole thing. I've had that happen Wait a to me. second. If these verses do not make sense, then 
What about the rest of what I believe? They're not consistent with the whole thing. So does that mean that the whole thing is crazy? That's, I mean, I've had that question before. This is, I, I've made some, you know, I've met some Bible verses about, you know, God being a liar or something like that, you know, or being confused or things like that. Those Some of those things in Scripture make me question the whole Bible. It's like, whoa, did I just read that? Yes. What about the rest of the Bible now? I don't even know if I want to believe that now. We've all experienced yes. this. Yes, yes. If you've ever read the Bible. Okay. This challenging causes a greater understanding of the part. God, I can't. I keep picking this thing. A greater understanding of the you part. You can move it if you want. Or the whole. Or and or the whole. Right? So we, by challenging it and thinking about it, ultimately, hermeneutics says that we come to a greater understanding. When you knocked that microphone stand, did it make you question the whole? You Maybe question a, my existence. I'm yeah, like, what am I doing here? This this part of that microphone stand, that one small piece that that disrupted your understanding. You're of that. really reaching so far. Oh, right I now. know. It's hilarious. I'm doing it just for fun. It's all good. This is top entertainment right here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the challenging causes us to gain a greater understanding of the part that we were like questioning. Right? We're like, oh, now we mostly understand this. And then that understanding leads us generally to a greater understanding of the whole, which is yes. we we like, oh, now we understand these verses, and the rest of the Bible makes more sense in this light. Yes. That right there, between those two steps, the the feedback that challenges our understanding and then ultimately a greater understanding of that challenge is the part that I don't necessarily think works all the time. Um, because this is a hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is basically just a uh, a, a there's method a, of reasoning, yes, more or less. There's an underlying assumption in hermeneutics that the Bible does not contradict. Yes. Um, and I wrote, uh, this ultimately only works if you believe that the Bible is without error and or contradiction. Uh, and then... I think I've established this. I don't believe the Bible is without contradiction, but I do believe it is without error, uh, and that's just because I think God is too complicated. Um, but but anyway, so this, I think there's more problems with using hermeneutics as like a gospel way to interpret the Bible than we like to admit most of the time, because I do think we end up with some of these the, between this engagement that challenges our belief of the whole and then a, a quote greater understanding I think sometimes we're just like well it doesn't make sense so let's just understand it this way and then hope that that works and then kind of force it to be that way which I don't yeah. appreciate at all um, but but okay with that being said hermeneutics is very useful extremely useful generally it does it does work and help I say 99.9999% of the time. I say it's probably more than that, that it doesn't work. But yes, ultimately, we mostly agree here. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So you've heard it here. Chase and I agree again. Mostly. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Um, But I I mean, it really does work most of the time. I mean, you're going to have things that just don't line up. Um, quite right, and you're not always going to understand everything. I think if we did, again, it wouldn't be faith. It would just be another religion. So we have rules for doing this, Brian. Yeah, we sure do. 
Let's see if we have time to get to them. We do. 36 minutes. We are in 36 minutes. So I uh, I uh, pulled up a uh, an article that I found on apologeticsindex.org. As far as I can tell, it's a great website. I could not find the author to this article. But this is the eight rules of hermeneutical interpretation. Is it Stephen Altrogi again? No, it's not. That guy was great, was? but this did not. I did not find an author. I listened author back name. to that. I was like, I totally forgot about Stephen, and then I was like, he's the greatest last name, Altrogi. Yeah, uh, this product, this particular file was marked as provided by the Light BBS, Silver Springs, Florida. So that's all I could find on the authorship of the article. So uh, we thank you for what you've done, the work that you put into this. Thank you to apologeticsindex.org. Great website. And uh, let me just read to you some of this here. Let me just say the first first couple of words because this is a pretty large article. It says, We can't have a sure word about the meaning of Scripture or anything else unless we have a sure method to interpret the words. So, hermeneutical interpretation. Start Chase. I'm sorry. I don't like that. We have to have a sure method of understanding how to interpret before we can even go about interpreting. If you don't make rules to interpret Scripture by, again, you end up in... You end up all over the board. You can't yeah, make a decision. I, I know, but the... Could you... Yeah, never mind. Just keep going. We, we all know where I stand on this. <clears throat> the following eight rules are the are the center of all grammatical interpretation. They have been accepted and used by scholars from Socrates to the present. While my hope is that they will be used to rightly divide the word of truth of the Holy Bible, they are equally applicable to legal, historical, or and other such language. Uh, blah, 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 blah. First rule, the rule of definition. What does the word mean? Any study of scripture must begin with a study of words. Define your terms, and then keep to the terms defined. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, so, I'm, I'm good with this. I, yeah, see, so this is the first rule. Yes. Always define your terms. Mm -hmm. And guess what we did at the beginning of this episode? <laughs> definitions. Right. This is, uh, this, this is why we do this, see? So if you don't define your terms when you're looking at a Bible passage, um, then... You're it's starting to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, you have no foundation. Exactly. So you got to figure out what each word means, and and sometimes it comes down to that. I mean, most words in the Bible are pretty straightforward, indeed, and you can understand them. But sometimes the meaning of those words is obscured, and so you have to figure out what those words mean before you can interpret the text properly. Okay. Right. Yes. Okay. This is true. Okay. I'm sorry. I had zoned out. <laughs> Number two, the rule of usage. It must be remembered that the Old Testament was written originally by, to, and for the Jews. Yes. The words and idioms must have been intelligible to them, just as the words of Christ when taking to talking to them must have been. Blah, 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 blah. So this is what Chase and I were just talking about here. The, the, the rule of usage. How was that scripture written down? And who was it written to? Right. Also, we forgot to mention that. But yeah, right. who was it written to? You kind of got to keep in mind the audience. So yes, yeah. So some things were written as historical narrative. 
Some things were written as poetry. Mm-hmm. Some things were written as law code. Um, and so you have to take it in that sort of context. Or you have to consider the usage. How was that text being used? And once you figure that out, then you're good. Like you could you could pick up a book on legalism. I mean, today, like legal law book, and say it's poetry, and you'll get the absolute wrong yeah, meaning out of all of it. But do you see what that you see what that means? Some people pick up their Bible and see historical historical narrative and see it as poetry. And that's wrong. They're not going to get the right interpretation out of it. Some people will pick up poetry books and call them the truth, the you know, the historical. Like some somebody's going to pick up Shakespeare and say, "This is the truth of the of this actually happened, all of it," or you know, something like that. You get the idea. No one's actually going to do that, but uh, people do <laughs> for Shakespeare. There are some fans out there. Okay, okay. all right, <laughs> whatever. Move on. Number f- number three, the rule of context. The meaning must be gathered from the context. Every word you read must be understood in the light of the words that come before and after it. Many passages will not be understood at all or understood incorrectly without the help afforded by the context. And then it gives an example here, but okay, yeah. so this is con- this is I don't know that this is as straightforward as everyone likes to make it. Yes, context is very important. You have to read the Bible in context. You cannot just read one verse and and be like like truth. That's what slaveholders did, and that didn't work very well. Um, that's not oh, correct. Yeah, that's true. Um, bad, very bad. There's a passage. Um, I got a couple of passages here. Okay. Anyway, you have to. I think you do have to be careful when somebody says. Like, I've taken it in context because... Um, that could mean a lot of things. It does. You have to interpret what they said. About... Con- yeah. Right. You really... Not all context is good and correct context, I think is what I'm yes. trying to say here. Because yes. some of the people who think that the Bible doesn't come down hard on homosexuality are like, well, if you read it in historical context, then it was just uh, Paul being homophobic for the time. It's like, no, it's just, it's something that was very, that's not, that doesn't work. It, it's a very convincing argument, but it does not work. <laughs> um, but you kind of got to be careful when somebody says that their argument stems from them taking it in context. I think is what, it, are you understanding what I'm saying, Brian? I feel like. I'm not making my point very clearly. Wait, wait. I wasn't listening the half part. I was looking at my notes okay, over here. Let's just hope that everyone understood what I meant. <laughs> um, I have an example of a verse that is often taken out of context. Philippians 4.13 here is is a verse that does not get used properly a lot of the time. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People take that to mean I can go outside and push a mountain over. And and I can part the Red Sea, but you know, by I mean, you you probably you could, you could. If, if God you know willed it to be so, and it it you know it was going to happen, uh, but you cannot run a hundred miles an hour across the football field and knock over somebody five times your weight. Yeah, this this. <sighs> This does not mean you can do whatever you want and Christ is going to help you out, I think is ultimately yeah. what people think. Now, it's like, I can go and start and buy a Lamborghini and make the payment somehow through Christ. No, you do not have enough money. 
You are not <clears throat> have sufficient funds. Exactly. That's not what the verse means. No. Means and see, Christ will sustain you is the context there that he's talking about through the persecution, I think. Yes, <laughs> is yes. the context there. So Paul in Philippians 4 is talking about staying content with what you have. Yeah. You can suffer through anything if Christ is the one that's strengthening you. Well, I mean, it does also apply to doing anything it has right. application. There are other scriptures out there. But it's just, it's not a license to go do any stupid thing you want and say, but I've got Christ. No. Use your brain. Can you really expect to jump off that cliff? And survive through Christ? Don't jump off the cliff. He doesn't want you to no, do that. that That's would be not bad. a good thing. Okay, sorry. Yes. Continue. Yes, I, so. I hate stupidity. Don't we all? <sighs> now, see, if you don't hate stupidity, you're probably part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Sorry. All right. Move on. I had to, yeah. Okay. So Philippians 4.13 is a, is a context. I mean, there's plenty of examples we could give, but time. Um, let's see. The next one is historical background. Uh, the principle of historical background. The interpreter must have some awareness of the life and society of the times in which the scripture was written. Um, so if you don't... You're gonna put it into your own context, your own historical background. Like, um, gosh, there was a there was a verse that we, we talked about a couple weeks ago. It was about the New Living Translation, where he said it came right out and said that. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't really a good example, so no. I'm just gonna shut up now. Yeah, uh, but you know, you got to remember. We're on rule three. We need to get through the. This next is five rule rules. four, okay? <laughs> well, now we're on to rule five got to know the historical background of what's going on in the Bible. Very important. You have to insert yourself into their shoes to understand what they heard. Yes. Not be in your own shoes. And and that goes back to reading it literally. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, that That's how you read it literally is read it the way it was written. The rule of logic is number five. Interpretation, I know I heard that breath, is merely logical reasoning. When interpreting scriptures, the use of reason is everywhere to be assumed. Does the interpretation make sense? The Bible was given to us in the form of human language and therefore appeals to human reason. It invites investigation. It is to be interpreted as we would any other volume, applying the laws of language and grammatical analysis. So, yes, there's no special spiritual way of understanding the Bible on a grammatical level. On a grammatical level. Now, see, we need the Holy Spirit yes. to help us. Okay, I, I agree. We, we we need the Holy Spirit in order to interpret any of the Bible correctly. If you're not saved and you're reading the Bible, I think we discussed this in episode 6, you're going in the... or episode 7, you're going in the wrong direction. Um, one of but, those episodes. Yeah, it was one of those good ones. Um, They're all good. Uh-huh. Every last one of them is Absolutely. Amazing. But... but as far as gra- grammar goes and historical context, you need to use your brain. Logic is important. It's extremely I will important. allow for this. I yeah. just don't think it is the be-all and end-all. Number six, the rule of precedent. We must not violate the known usage of a word and invent another for which there is no precedent. Just as a judge's chief occupation in the study of previous cases... So must the interpreter use precedents in order to determine whether they really support an alleged doctrine. Uh, consider the Bereans in Acts seventeen ten through twelve, who
who were called noble because they searched the scriptures to determine if what Paul taught them was true. So you should be searching the scripture to see what, what's going on in, in different parts. And then there's, I'm going to kind of roll through these next two. The rule of unity. The parts of the scripture being interpreted must be constructed with reference to the significance of the whole. Again, this is about big context, big picture. This is what Chase read in the hermeneutical loop stuff. Um, and then the last rule is inference. An inference is a fact reasonably implied from another fact. It is a logical consequence. It derives a conclusion from a given fact or premise. So it's it's kind of like the Trinity. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about the Trinity. But we can see from reading the Bible that the Trinity is a logical inference that we can draw. Yes. Yes. So we know it's a real thing. Right. Because it even it's, though it's not explicitly it's, stated to be the you know, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, and that's not common for that to happen. Like there are just a few of these that you can draw. Um, and you really have to be careful when you you're inferring. Really, 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 really yeah. have to be careful. Don't, uh, don't, Im- don't take implications and make them your explication. Yeah. Or Ex- whatever that mean. Whatever that meant. I don't even know where I went there. I think is what you're trying to that say. That sounded great. We know what you mean. Move on. Oh, thank goodness. Your your interpretation of my words is okay. Uh, wow, uh, I cannot wait for this to be over. Well, we're pretty darn <laughs> close, Chase. So we've kind of run out of time this week. Um, we're we're okay. We're I doing got, okay. I got one more thing to say. Sure, we got minutes. We got time. We have minutes. They're fine. They're not going anywhere. Maybe they are. They probably already turned it off. All right. <sighs> Ultimately, yes, all of this is great and wonderful and useful, and I think we should apply it. And I try to apply it, although I'm a little bit lazy. I don't know if I should say this. What I tend to do, right, in addition to a very loose usage of hermeneutics, is, like I talked about in my essay, I think that there are some problems with consistency in the Bible, and I think that that doesn't make it less true, and it's just because God is so like huge and infinite and wonderful and everything. So I, I run into trouble using everything to reference everything else. Does that make sense? Right. Brandon? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think we all do. Even systematic theologists will talk about like how it's difficult to do that. Right. I mean, it can be difficult at times. Yes. So I'm a little bit lazy, and I just kind of accept what the Bible says. <laughs> like, like I just kind of, I'm just like, you know, like I read like, thou shalt not murder. Oh, that's a good thing to, to live yes. by. Um, and I just kind of try not to murder people. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, when it's it, strange when, it comes when God to stuff in my life, you know what I mean? I feel like you can adhere to what Jesus taught and you're pretty much, you're pretty much good. As far as beliefs are concerned, you know what I mean. Yeah, see, and then somebody who studies hermeneutics will will argue with absolutely you. blast me apart. Well, I don't give a flying crap what somebody who studies hermeneutics says. Though. Well, I'm just saying, like no, God said, God tells people to kill people in the Old Testament. I know this. So it's kind of we got to figure out is God being is inconsistent? God being inconsistent? Right, right. We so. don't know. The systematic <laughs> theologists say no because they can't have that be the case. But um, so you know what I mean, though, right? Like, like I just 
I'm kind of lazy, and I don't care enough to go through and do all the work for hermeneutics. So, so we hope you are. And if uh, you're not <laughs> lazy, this is great. But if you are, know that there are there are others of us who just kind of like read the New Testament and go, "Yep, we should be doing this," and then we try to do it. And it's working out for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you don't like me, probably don't don't do the stuff that I do. Chase is a good good Christian man. So, well, that's what they tell me. Yep, I'm not convinced. They, but anyway, that's everything we have for this week. Harmonix yep. is very important and useful, and I'm just too lazy to use it properly. <laughs> um, Brian's not. Dear Lord, um, he is dear. He is indeed. I think we should go ahead and pray. Send us emails, though. Oh, yeah. Send us emails. and uh, No one sent us an email, and I'm getting really kind of annoyed. Like, anything. It could be one word. You just know a what? word that you heard. Like, You know mm. what, Chase? I bet they're just like you and don't care. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares that's about what the podcast. All, All right. right. On, that, this, on that beautiful note, dear Lord, I just want to thank you for who you are and the the person that you are i believe that you're consistent and true whether i understand that or not and i just pray lord that while people go through their bible and try to understand it that they would that they would see your glory in a new light each time they they encounter a scripture that they don't understand that they would that they would put forth the effort and and uh and and invest some of their energy into the into a relationship with you, God. That they would come closer to to knowing who you are, uh, because God, you're so good, Lord. I just thank you for um, for your Bible. That is, that sometimes I I thank you, Lord, for making it challenging, um, because it it shows us um, just how it it's so easy to. Um, it filters out the people who don't need to be here, God. I just thank you for um, for all of it. Uh, and uh, I just pray that uh, everybody has a good week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, this has been Dish Pit Theology. Chase, you need to do it with me. No. It's so weird. I refuse. You say that every week. I know. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm sorry, Chase. I, I will not force you to do that. Good. Because you, you physically can't. So. Nope, I can't. So, let's... All right. Talk to you guys later. Toodaloo. Bye.